Uh, they'll pay money for all other kinds of things, even archives into mystery sites and so on, which is fine. That's entertainment. The mix mixes fact with fiction. I just stick to the facts here for those who really want to cut through the matrix and get to the truth of things. The hardest thing you'll ever find is the truth. It's so well hidden, believe you me. And uh, thousands of years have gone into the creation of systems of controlling vast populations. Now it's global, of course, because we're all into the same info from the same sources across the whole world. And it's easier to control millions of people getting the same downloads every day. I'll be back with more after these messages.
and intertwined with them, and the international bankers on board as well. Talking about plans to take over all the resources of the world, and that's really democracy already, already was a has-been. It had its day. It wasn't efficient anymore, and uh, they could never get their real big plans done because uh, of the public um, knowing what was going on. So how did they get around that? Well, they stopped you from knowing what was going on. They gave you uh, the mainstream regular media where you've got barons who own whole chains of newspapers across uh, country and countries. And they never really tell you, their job is not to tell you the truth. They keep you stuck in the middle, the middle plane, you might say, uh, of, of never, never land. Giving you little sniffs at things, but never actual sightings of anything. That's how they work. Yesterday, for instance, I read an article about the, the health care bill from the Washington Times. I just read the first little part of it, skimmed over it, uh, and, and mentioned that uh, now you've got the government and bureaucrats telling doctors and hospitals what are purportedly the most efficient medical procedures they should use. Americans are supposed to trust Mr. Obama's bureaucrats over their own doctors. And I mentioned then that doctors then in these systems become basically agents of the government. And I, and I mentioned too, that I didn't go into this, it says a new report from the Government Accountability Office, it actually been an accountability office, shows that the Obama administration has been an utter failure at identifying the, the efficiency of a wide range of products. Now we have all these agencies and you all think it's like the Food and Drug Administration, most people truly believe it's there to look after your health and safety. And I've, I've given up links to, to, uh, to, to exposures that have come out about the FDA uh, that's full, full of people who've worked with pharma before on the boards of pharma and, and the big chemical corporations and all the rest of it, and the big food corporations. And I've even give, given link, uh, leaked emails from correspondence when, when it comes to certain medications that are kind of iffy and up for debate uh, and going to the FDA. And uh, they've actually said, we've got these doctors here who will go along with us. They're friendly. In other words, they're paid off. That's how it really works. Getting back to this article here, you have a, a, a government accountability office in the U.S. I think every company supposedly has one. And it shows that the Obama is an utter failure identifying the efficiency of a wide range of products. It's quite comical. Again, it's meant to be a little comical piece. That's how they write stuff. As government encroaches on more aspects of American life, the federal bureaucracy is increasingly incompetent. Well, yeah, maybe, it's, maybe they're really there to do something else than they've told us. Does the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy are charged with identifying how energy-efficient different products are? Remember all that push to, oh, buy a new fridge, it's green. Less, less electricity and, and all this stuff, less pollution and... They claim that nine, now listen to this, they claim that 98% of the products they test meet or exceed energy star requirements, which are government benchmarks used to regulate greater efficiency. Yet a sting operation by the GAO investigators showed that the government agencies incorrectly identified as efficient 15 of 20 bogus products submitted by GAO for testing. In other words, it's like there were bogus products and getting rubber stamped as being efficient. It says no action was taken on two of the 20 products 
Overall, the government made the correct decision on only 11% of the test products. The rest of the stuff never worked. It wasn't meant to work. They were bogus, like tin cans dressed up as something else. No kidding. And the government rubber-stamped them as being efficient. As Washington is saying, for warrants, the difference between 98% and 11% is close enough for government work. Most disturbingly, the absurd products in question shouldn't have been closed calls. They made them look obvious, obviously ridiculous. Take the so-called room air cleaner. The product was a space heater with a duster sticking out of the top and several fly strips attached to make it look even more absurd. The picture submitted to the government of the bogus product is pretty hilarious, but the bureaucracy gave the contraption the federal stamp of approval. Among the other ridiculous items the government certified as energy efficient, was a patrol, this is what, what they told the government. This, these are bureaucrats for you. A, a, a gasoline-powered timepiece, petroleum-powered timepiece, like, like a gas-fired clock, right? <laughs> that was described as a generator-sized clock run on gasoline. Such a machine obviously would be energy inefficient. Moving the heavy beast alone would keep greens awake at night worrying about wasted energy, making the alarm on the clock superfluous. News of these phony approvals has bureaucrats running for the high ground. While defensively insisting that they take tests seriously, the EPA and the Energy Department immediately issued a statement defending their testing and telling the public it should not lose confidence in the government program to monitor efficiency ratings. (laughs) They're passing everything that gets put in front of them and, and all this bogus stuff too. Incorrigibly, the feds again pointed to their own discredited 98% accuracy. So it doesn't matter what you prove to them. They're 11% right. Uh, they actually claim, of course, their initial one, the propaganda piece. We're always 98% accurate. So they came up with that again as a defense and implausibly claimed the Energy Star program was so, has so far saved Americans $17 billion on their electric bills. It's such a farce, isn't it? Lifelong jobs. Uh, yearly pay increases, cost of living uh, increases, and pension plans, and all the rest of it, and uh, it's just jobs for the for the boys, isn't it? They're generally intergenerational in the federal departments, uh, the bureaucracies. I don't know if people know that in every country, they, they tend to be intergenerational, and it's far better than being playing with politics because they, they're, they're really not responsible to the public. We never noticed them generally. We never hear from them or about them. So, again, everything is utterly corrupt, and, uh, and there's always want more money and all the rest of it. It's the same with politicians, you know. If they can hang in there for only four or five years, I think it was five years, Canada, and the same with the U.S., and Britain, Australia, and New Zealand, if they can just get in and make sure their party stays in for five years, they get a lifelong pension index related to the cost of living. Lifelong pension for working, for, well, turning up for five years. And we think, we really do think that this we believe the propaganda, we're here to serve you. Hmm? It's astonishing, isn't it? One law for this bunch and one law for the rest. I wouldn't mind doing that. Four or five years and get a full pension. And that's Full drug costs a whole lot the rest of your life in the index related to the cost of living. So basically you get the same paycheck when, you, when you're 80 or 90 
as someone just going into politics, into the federal government uh, for their first year. Thank you. We have the Wangalits, and we just sit here and we moo like cattle, and we talk trivia. And again, that's why it's quite hard to go into the mainstream media, because whatever they expose, which is very little uh, and very infrequently, um, but it's parts comedy mixed in with it, it gives us this, this idea that they're just stumbling along and bumbling along, and yet there's this massive supra umbrella, as I say, above them and around them of hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, corporations and CEOs and foundations and think tanks all telling them what to do, all coming from the United Nations. We'll be back with more after this break. through the matrix. You know, in the UK and Britain, I read an article a while back where the police are breaking into people's homes at night under a new police program and uh, leaving notes to tell the people who own the premises, the premises or at least live in them. I don't think you own anything in Britain, really. Even when you sign up to, to purchase a home, you're put down as a tenant, not an owner. It's the same in Canada, too by the way, and um, and the cops break in, and God help you if you tackle them, I guess, as a prowler. I think it's actually happened already in some case pending, but the cops will get away with it, because one of these must be things. Can you train, really, uh, that they can walk in at any time of the day or night, and you better just accept it. And they start off with with an excuse, well, it's to, it's to make sure that... Uh, you know where the weak points in your home happen to be. Well, if they want that, they could, they could give a volunteer program where they come run during the day and point them out to you if you want to allow them in. But of course, no, they do it uh, this way and break into your homes in the middle of the night, and that's all right, apparently. Well, isn't it amazing, as I say, that, that I saw this years ago in the 70s and the 80s and onwards traveling through different parts of the world, and I kept saying, isn't it amazing that the same laws seem to be passed in every country at the same time, yet no country ever says, by the way, where this has been passed in Britain, France, and Germany at the same time as uh, Norway or Denmark, as an example. And I realized back then we were already in a global system, and there was some kind of communication between some agency that, that coordinates all the governments together. Had to be. Well, Getting back to the cops breaking into the homes, they're much slicker in the U.S., you see. They're better at it. They've got better marketing divisions and people who are really sharp on how people work. They work in advertising generally. And they advise. You can actually hire them, and they'll advise you how to get what you want. Well, here's this cops in New Jersey, and um, this is from WCBSTV.com. Uh, New Jersey Police Department starts a senior safety program. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Senior safety program, March 25th, it says, uh, cops in New Jersey town are given keys to home. See how different it is? Britain should really follow this because you could learn a lot. And it says that Franklin Township Police set up realtor-like lockboxes so officers can respond immediately to emergencies. 
Operation Blue Angel, it's called, funded by money seized during drug busts. Yeah, sure. And uh, it says it's a novel program designed to improve the safety of senior citizens in New Jersey. It's hard to go against that. It's for your safety. Yeah. Uh, the program would allow police quick access into a home to help anyone having a medical emergency without having to break down the door. Well, should the cops be coming in for a medical emergency? Uh, I don't think so. But that doesn't matter, is it? Marlon Chesner is a retired music teacher and a widow. Living alone, that was give you these stories to, to justify it for everyone. Uh, living alone, the 79-year-old recently had a close call. I was standing there, and the next thing I knew, I was on the floor, she said. Uh, that moment, passing out in the bathroom, made her think about things. She thought about it, you see. If only the cops were here to help me with my medical problem. I wonder what would happen if something happened and I couldn't get out of bed or move. How could someone get into the house? She says, that's why the grandmother was the first person to join Operation Blue Angel, run by the Franklin Township Police Department. Now Chesner has a lockbox with a spare key inside, similar to the one realtors use, which allows police to get into her home in the event of an emergency. Hopefully I'll never need them. But it does give an extra sense of security, Chesner said. So there you go, a whole town because well, one, one elderly lady thinks she's going to be safe, you know. I, I love how they do this. I love how they do. You know, it's the same with punishment as well. If you study the, the totalitarian systems, especially the Soviet systems, uh, they would find some, somebody doing something uh, in part of this vast uh, Soviet bloc, and then they would pass a law that would affect everyone across the whole bloc. So it was called communal punishment. Well, we, we've already got that in Canada and elsewhere, too, because we're using that kind of system here as well. And that was in many different areas by itself, by the way. So anyway, this PR piece finishes up by saying, no matter who you are, God forbid you get sick, we can respond immediately, Franklin Township Police Chief Craig Novick said. It was the chief himself who came up with the idea after one of the area's huge snowstorms. What if we had to respond to the house where the key holder couldn't respond because it was snowed in? What would we do? Chief Novick said. Wow, I like his reasoning here. Since the program started a week ago, 20 seniors and people with medical conditions have signed up. It provides peace of mind for their children. Oh, oh it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. And, and that's what we get for news. Utter pablum. Utter pablum. We really are treated like children, aren't we? Completely like children. Now, again in the U.S. too, the other most folk notice what's really going on. But you have to go into amalgamations uh, of different agencies with public, private, and all the rest of it. This is an article here. I'll put these links up on my site at the end of the show. Again, if ExploreNet blesses me with twice dial-up speed to sit here for three or four hours uploading, and uh, this is from March 22nd, 2010. I shall read this to show you how the DOA, the USD, and the NSF are now joining together towards climate change. So food, agriculture, and all the rest of us going together. Back after this message. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. Reading an article from the Department of Energy's website, and it's from March 22nd, 2010. It says the DOA, the USDA, and the NSF launched joint climate change prediction research program, new interagency program to generate high-resolution tools to address the climate change. What's interesting is I noticed that Britain again had just done all the same thing, and they have the Department of Energy, yada yada yada. Uh, and climate change all mixed together. That's the end of it, and climate change. So everything's, everything is counting. As I've said this before, all the big boys put all their, all their eggs into one basket a long time ago to do with uh, ruling us by a catastrophe on the earth if we don't comply. And, of course, with the CO2 massive trading that's going on, with the trade a lot of spots of nothings for lots of money, and we have to pay for it all and stuff like that. And it also helped to get the Agenda 21 in. We were crammed together for more efficiency, understand. We can't use all these services and, and string hydro or electric lines across the countries. And uh, uh, when you're all in one place, it's much easier and cheaper, more economical, and it will pollute less, yada, yada, yada. So that is what it's all about, really. It's, they're all working together with Agenda 21. This is Washington, D.C., the U.S. Department of Energy and, and Agriculture. Remember, this is your food, too, and, and energy. Remember I said before, everything that you need to live on will be used, basically. It's a big stick over you. Well, that's what it's all about. And the National Science Foundation announced the launch of a joint research program to produce high-resolution models for predicting climate change and its resulting impacts. In other words, these fancy computers that are fed... Uh, lots of weird data that doesn't really comply with facts or actuality to give them the desired results that they want. Called Decadal and Regional Climate Prediction Using Earth Systems Models, that's EASM, the program is designed to generate models that significantly more powerful than existing models can help decision makers develop adaptation strategies addressing climate change. So we've all to adapt to whatever the computers spew out these models will be developed through a joint interagency solicitation for proposals. Well, they all already have it planned what big boys are getting the deals. That's what that means, that part there. Uh, and then they go on to how it's going to cover uh, all the... E, listen to the language of this. EASM is distinguished by its promise for generating, one, predictions of climate change and associated impacts at more localized scales and over shorter time periods than previously possible and two, innovative interdisciplinary approaches to address the interdisciplinary resources <laughs> and impacts of climate change. These interdisciplinary approaches will draw on biologists, chemists, computer scientists, geoscientists, material scientists, mathematicians, physicists, computer specialists, and social scientists, everybody except a farmer. Hmm? That's just going to run this thing here. And you know how much it's going to cost. I won't go into that. We've got enough bad news in that area of the department as we, we can stand at the moment. And more to come, obviously. But, you know, they can always count on the brainwashing they've already given a lot of the public. See, the public are very predictable, and they all have us categorized in clusters. Your friends and all that, and you together are a cluster, by the way. And the, the, with, the, with the, the permission of uh, the government and the NSA, uh, they give all your uh, data and your emails and your, and your phone calls and all the rest of it, and all the sites that you look up on your computer uh, to, uh, with, to your friends, they give it all 
to, to certain um, authorized universities to do cluster studies on you all, to see what you all have in common with each other, what binds you together as a cluster. And uh, uh, they also have virtual realities in the Pentagon where all that data is also fed in there. And I've read it, the article from the Pentagon itself saying, yep, they have literally a little um, uh, you, every one of you in a particular computer model program in a virtual reality where they, they study you uh, and with all your ongoing uh, daily data fed into it, by the way, so they can make you perfectly predictable. And they can actually do hypothetical situations where knowing what you are, how you are, how you think, how, what motivates you, and all the rest of it, they can put little tests on this virtual you uh, by fitting in a problem and seeing how you, you react, knowing you'll, you'll react like that in real life. That's where your tax money goes to all these, to all, all to control you. Layer after layer after layer of specialist areas, way above you, never mentioned in the media. But you'll certainly get it all from their own websites if you bother looking into it. And yeah, you will be checked going into government websites. They've admitted that. Take, they take all that data uh, when you link onto their websites. But they're linking all your data anyway. No matter what sites you look into, so what does it matter? Better to know what's going on than to rely on the general media to keep you spinning your wheels. But here's an article that fits in kind of, kind of with this. No, no great depth or anything, but it says, what I mean is they can count on you as predictable. Snob appeal and all the rest of it. This is from the theguardian.co.uk. Shoppers choose green products to improve their social status, their study. They found that consumers are willing to sacrifice performance for perceived social status from green products. You know, everything's labeled green. Remember, uh, they're already putting stuff on their, their MySpace sites and stuff showing to show how green they are, try out green each other. Then it talks about uh, uh, um, that shoppers choose hybrid cars to improve their social status, the receptors, because they give it snob up, it would make it more expensive. And... Uh, the, the, the cars, then the green washing up liquids, also they go for that, and energy saving devices over cheaper but dirtier alternatives to partly, uh, partly improve their social status. Well, I've read that, that other thing by the guys who are supposed to look at all these improved green products, and they only, they're passing dustbins dressed up as other things, you know, with dusters sticking out of them. Uh, so that's all bogus anyway, but the greens don't know that. They'll buy it as long as it says green. And they can show off, oh, I'm, I'm so green. How about you? I know you're using that old, that old food mixer there. You know, that's how stupid, stupid people are. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stupid people they can count on. And that's why they love democracy, because the bulk of the populace go exactly the direction that they're brainwashed to go in. And it's us who, who still think for ourselves that are forced to go along with them by law. Researchers found consumers are willing to sacrifice luxury and performance to benefit from the perceived, not real, but perceived social status that comes from buying a product with a reduced environmental impact. At least it's that good stamp, and it doesn't matter if it's spewing out uh, black smoke on the other end. Bram van der Berg of Rotterdam School of Management, one of the study's authors, said, driving a luxurious non-green car like a Hummer communicates one's wealth, but also suggests that the buyer is a selfish and a caring individual who is concerned primarily about his own comfort rather than the welfare of society. This is, this is, remember, this is marketing. 
advertising management. These are the guys who manipulate societies. And so uh, you're, you're, you're selfish. You're a selfish, uncaring individual if you drive something like that. Remember I said before they're using social approval and social disapproval to change everybody's way of life in many different areas. This is how they do it. Whereas driving, driving a hybrid like a Prius not only displays one wealth, but it costs many thousands of dollars more than a conventional but highly efficient uh, fuel car. But it also signals that the owner cares about others and the environment. So if you're rich and wealthy and you spend stuff to show off, then you obviously care about the environment. See, social approval, social disapproval. In a series of three experiments for the study, which is published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, the researchers found that people were also more likely to choose green products when doing so in public so that they can show off. So they'll buy them when they're out with their pals. In one experiment, 168 students were split into two groups. One group read a story about social status, while a group, the second group read a story without a, sto- a status message. Asked to make a hypothetical purchasing decision between a green car or a non-green model at the same price, but more luxurious and better performing, 37.2 in the control group chose the green car. That figure rose to 54.5% for those who read the story designed to activate status motives. So they actually put it into the little test. A wording, which is programming, words strung together in a particular way will bring you to the desired conclusion and action. You are utterly programmable. So the figure rose to 54.5% for those who read the story designed to, the story was designed to, just for the hard of thinking, I like to repeat things, the story is designed to activate status motives. The authors claim the experiment is the first to demonstrate that playing on desire for social status is a way to encourage people to make green choices. But they've used the same technique in other areas before, by the way. Social status. In another test, 93 students were asked to pick on a sliding scale between green and non-green products. I hate even using terminology, don't you? We're helping them bring it into being. It's nonsense. Green and non-green products at the same price, depending on whether we're buying in public at a store or in private by shopping online. When the students read a status story similar to the first experiment, their preference in public for the green product was far stronger than in private. A third experiment showed buyers with social status in mind preferred green products when they were more expensive than their conventional alternative. Give it snob appeal and they'll go for it. The authors who also include uh, Vladas uh, Giscavicius of University of Minnesota and Joshua M. Tyburn of University of New Mexico argue that the findings show an untapped way of motivating greener behavior. Every, oh, I'll tell everything that people do today is through conditioning. Everything. They're already preconditioned a hundred ways towards even this experiment. They can't even remember. They watch countless hours of TV with brainwashing, little bits slipped in, subliminally, and they're all primed for guys like this to work on. Adam Corner, research associate at Cardiff University, an expert in the psychology of communicating climate change. There you go. Here you go. <laughs> A psychology expert at communicating climate change. Why would you need that? It's all based on facts, eh? Hmm? Why do we need people to brainwash you 
to do it go along a certain way if it's actually factual and can be proven to be factual and based on facts. You wouldn't need that, would you? Would you? They said social status is a key driver of behavior. It's not surprising that people might choose to try and signal their social status through the conspicuous consumption of green products. Even if people don't care about climate change, they care about what other people think of them. That's the bottom line. They care about what other people think of them, their peer pressure. He added that one of the most important aspects of research is that the power of social status could be harnessed to become a critical tool in promoting wider changes in pro-environmental behavior, such as voting for the Greenest Party in an election or engaging in environmental activism. They always use the schmucks, you know. Today I was reading an article, well, it's one of the websites by the big boys who had a follow-up meeting from the Copenhagen Treaty and I was going through all the members at the top, every one of them who were running this climate business was the CEO of a major oil company or a major energy source company, international corporations with factories all over the place. And most of them were members as well of the Club of Rome. And apart from that, they also had been members sometimes in between their full-time jobs with the United Nations. And you think it's all some alternative from the big boys who already rule and own everything that you need to live on. Because they've taken everything over to make sure that you're helpless. That's the planned society, folks. Everybody is fooled. They even create the, the greeny groups with all the little fringe people at the bottom with chips on their shoulders that can't fit in anywhere. They need something to protest. They recruit them all and have no idea that their bosses, the ones at the top, they can speak and be understood as opposed to the rest of them. And who's taught to speak and be understood are paid full-time salaries equal to any president or even beyond that and a pension plan and lots of freebies and goodies by the foundations that set them up in the first place. Everybody is a schmuck who, who gets used and joins the big groups. They can always count on you. Always count on you. Last night, too, I mentioned about how Mr. Rockefeller, when he was talking about the the fallout as they merged the world into this uh, big conglomerate, this international conglomerate, and how masses of people, like Jack Satelli said, would flood in from the, the, the south of the U.S. into the U.S., not just from Mexico, but the whole of Latin America, will eventually start migrating north, thinking they're going to the land of milk and honey, where the streets are paved with gold and all that kind of stuff. And they talked about the chaos it would cause. Italy even said it would be like uh, another uh, barbarian attack on Rome with the Goths and the Visigoths and all them Goths and stuff, that kind of stuff. Remember that school stuff? And uh, basically like that, rampaging through places with, with gangs, plus those who are more criminal would be the, the most uh, eager to get into the new lands of opportunity because they're, after all, they're predators and it's more easy and wealthier prey. That's where they'd head for. Well, here's an article here about how it's happening in Europe. 
And this was to be expected. Remember Rockefeller said, well, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. So all the mayhem and the killings, the murders and stuff that happened in the meantime, it's just something you've got to put up with for a generation or two. That's all it is. The big boys' plans and their point of view. You understand how they think and how they see it. Uh, this is from the Mail Online. Romanian Fagan, remember Fagan, uh, gang mutilated children so they could earn money, uh, more money on begging on the streets of Britain. The 9th of April. The Romanian gang running a trafficking ring mutilated and disabled some of the army of children it sent to beg and steal in Britain to increase their earning potential, the police believe. Gang members believe that disabled children were more likely to evoke pity in passers-by, so they allegedly disabled their own children and those which they bought uh, from extremely poor families to increase their earning potential. According to the respected Romanian daily newspaper, Aduveral, these sources said the case included the sick maiming of the children involved. Some had their legs and arms broken before sent to the UK in a twisted version of Oliver Twist. I don't know if they're making a pun there or not. The children as young as seven were being kidnapped or, brought or bought from their parents in poor gypsy communities. They were being smuggled to Britain for pickpocketing, shoplifting, sprees and prostitution and the profits used to buy giant gypsy palaces. And that's the photographs of these, these giant gypsy palaces. You should see them. Police estimate that 168 youngsters aged 7 to 15 were trafficked. That's the tip of the iceberg. We'll be back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix. Just talking about uh, omelets and stuff like that, according to Mr. Rockefeller, because you see, this chaos and what you see at one time was localized in certain countries. Now that we're all one and people can move all over the place, then in comes all the crime that you've never seen before, this kind of crime. And uh, it's just omelets. And, and the fallout is just omelets because you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, you see. So I guess this is a bunch of broken eggs, all youngsters being sold into slavery. And getting their limbs twisted and their eyes poked out so they can be more efficient beggars on the streets of Britain. But that's just how it goes, isn't it? We'll just have to adjust to it and, and get used to it. And while they're socking it to everybody across the world, you see, in this global conglomerate, you know, uh, they're still up there to announce who the top CEO of the world is. It hasn't been done yet, uh, but that will come uh, shortly. Um, there's an article here about... Uh, something that people, most folks don't know about. We don't know about much, really, because the, the media articles never really tell you much uh, as to why. What they'll tell you is articles like this one. Again, it's from the Mail Online. And it says, Labour, that's a government, attacked for giving £170 million. Now, everybody's bankrupt over there. And £170 million in aid to China. China, they know the manufacturer for the whole world. And it's from the 9th of April, 2010. Uh, the Labour government was blasted last night by one of its former ministers for spending £170 million of taxpayers' money on aid to China, the world's third largest economy. I think it's uh, one, I think it's the top economy myself. 
Ministers were told that it was wrong that such huge sums should be handed to a country that was able to splash out twenty billion dollar pounds, twenty billion pounds, hosting the Olympic Games in two thousand and eight. Britain has given given Beijing an average of thirty four point five million pounds a year since two thousand and four to five to boost the country's schools, tackle AIDS in China and provide fresh water. But you see, this article is meant to, to stir up people and make them annoyed and stuff. It doesn't tell you here that in, once he signed the UN treaty many moons ago, that every country that signed on to it, from what they called first world countries, to the Overseas Economic Development Corporation, or Crown Corporations, odd com, uh, corporations set up by the government, where there's actually shares sold, but they're not available to the public, and even the CBC Canada couldn't find out uh, who were the, the shareholders. They use our tax money, supposedly, and across the sea to make things better for them and for the schools and all that kind of stuff, you see. Plus, when we did the GATT Treaty, see, the Free Trade Treaty itself says that the first world countries must pay uh, all those third world countries and food, education, all the rest of it, and even welfare, to bring them up to the standard, a, a standards partway towards us as we get impoverished on the way down towards them. No kidding you. We meet somewhere in the middle. That's supposedly, supposedly the plan. Read every article on free trade from their own websites, like the Council of Foreign Relations and stuff like that, the guys who really manage things for them all. So said here that senior peers, that's the sort of uh, uh, title people in government in Britain, yesterday questioned whether it was right that development cash should be spent in China, which is forecast to become the biggest economic superpower on the planet within five years. Well, I think it's already there. Well, you see, they signed the deals with the World Bank and the, the GATS and the, all the other treaties they signed through the United Nations, and the World Bank and IMF. I keep giving, you know, it's a charitable way. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs> <laughs>